Before we start the show, our usual reminder to listen to all your favorite podcasts in the NPR One app, where you can also get a playlist of public radio stories curated just for you. And try out NPR's new podcast, The Big Listen. It's a show that introduces you to new podcasts and gives you the inside story on the ones you already love. It's on NPR One and at npr.org slash podcast. Okay, here's the show. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast here with a preview of the third and final presidential debate Wednesday night between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. So Sam and Tam are both on the road. They'll be back later this week. But we're here, and it's barely three weeks until Election Day, the final debate Wednesday night at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas, moderated by Chris Wallace of Fox News. We are going to talk about that. But since our last episode, a few things have happened, to put it mildly. So we're going to catch up on that stuff. Then we're going to get to the debate. First, Donald Trump. You guys ready? Ready. Let's Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, We're going to walk through all this. It's going to be a lot. Donald Trump, this is Friday, said this about Jessica Leeds, one of the women who claimed that Trump sexually assaulted her. Believe me, she would not be my first choice that I can tell you. Man. You don't know. That would not be my first choice. Uh, And also last week, he suggested that Hillary Clinton is at the center of a global conspiracy of bankers bent on destroying America. Hillary Clinton meets in secret with international banks to plot the destruction of U.S. sovereignty in order to enrich these global financial powers, her special interest friends and her donors. That's a sentence. (laughs) Uh, We should say... uh, what that was there was Trump's spin of Clinton's leaked speeches to big banks, which are being posted on WikiLeaks, in which she advocated, quote, a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders. There's one more thing to get through. But guys, what did you make of statements like that coming out of the mouth of uh, one of the two people who's going to be the next president? Well, the first comment in regards to Jessica Leeds is um sort of the ongoing fallout of mm-hmm. from Donald Trump and, and his recent controversy over this unearthed video. And what we have learned from this is that the impact in this race is that uh, the gender gap that we've seen throughout the course of the race is only exacerbating in the final month of the race, yeah. that it has not in any way helped his standing in the polls. And then to suggest that a woman is not attractive enough to be sexually assaulted is not exactly helping his cause. And there's one more thing to talk about, and this is probably the most important thing that we need to talk about that's happened within the last week. And that's um, Donald Trump suggesting louder than ever that the election will be rigged by large scale voter fraud. I think we have to be very vigilant and careful with people that are voting. People are coming in to vote and they're not registered. People are coming in as illegal immigrants. They don't have the right to vote and they're coming in and voting. And you're not that surprised to hear this. I mean, you see it all over the country, but there's tremendous voter fraud. And we really want it stopped. It can make the difference between winning and losing in an election. Have you crossed Domenico, the is there any evidence anywhere of the type of widespread voter fraud, widespread election rigging that Donald Trump has been alleging? No. I mean, you know, widespread voter fraud. I mean, we have decentralized elections in our country. I mean, that means that the federal government does not control the elections in each of these states. The states do. And that would mean the kind of collusion that would involve probably millions of people if it were widespread 
widespread across all the states because you have Republicans and Democrats able to watch these polling locations, lawyers who can challenge ballots. You have Democrats and Republicans in many cases working in the poll places. There's just no evidence that there's this kind of widespread voter fraud on the kind of level it would take for Donald Trump to overcome a sizable gap in the polls. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why the Clinton campaign at this point would like to see as big a margin of an election as they could possibly run up if she were to win, Mm -hmm. because a close election would only be able to be something that would fuel more of Trump's conspiracy. Because there's a lot of different reasons by why what Trump is talking about just isn't something that that's that's realistic. Uh, Daniel Kurtzleben went through a lot of this in a a long post. But Sue, basically, uh, the fact is we have 50 different presidential elections happening. 50 states are going to be having their uh, 50 states and Americans abroad. The voter fraud claims are not true. And Donald Trump has also suggested that has questioned whether Barack Obama's margin of victory in 2012 against Mitt Romney may have also been the result of voter fraud, of which there is no evidence of none. I mean, this is really remarkable for a presidential candidate to be saying these kinds of things. And it is seems to underscore the decision that Donald Trump has made to run a base core turnout operation with the language and the themes and the messages that appeal to only his most hardcore supporters. Yeah, I mean, it's not the way our leaders talk generally. I mean, they don't bring up conspiracy theory to the mainstream to say three weeks before an election that it might be stolen from them. Like, you know, there are Republican secretaries of state in many of these battleground states uh, where those secretaries of state now are coming out and saying, hey, we control the process and it's not going to be rigged. The Ohio secretary of state in particular has been very outspoken about this. And he said he's voting for Donald Trump, but he said, no, what Trump is talking about is just not true. Uh, We should also say that President Obama himself weighed in on this today. uh, And he said, I have never seen in my lifetime or in modern political history any presidential candidate trying to discredit the election or the election process. And he called on Trump basically to stop saying this and say, stop talking about a rigged election and try and just win the election. I'd advise Mr. Trump to stop whining and go try to make his case to get votes. And if he got the most votes, then it would be my expectation of Hillary Clinton to offer a gracious concession speech and pledge to work with him in order to make sure that the American people benefit from an effective government. And it would be my job to welcome Mr. Trump, regardless of what he said about me or my differences with him on my opinions, and escort him over to the Capitol in which there would be a peaceful transfer of power. That's what Americans do. That's why America's already great. If you're having deja vu all over again, that might be because we talked about this in August. You might remember Donald Trump when he was down in the polls, said that the election would be rigged and then Barack Obama came out and slapped Trump down. Trump also did this in the primaries. He did it in April. He did it in April (laughs) when Ted Cruz was beating him in a series of state conventions, scooping up delegates to the convention. Trump said the the system was rigged. In fact, what had happened was that Ted Cruz organized around these conventions and Donald Trump did not realize they were important until the very last minute. Yeah. And I think to Sue's point, this is all about driving out his base. You know, he's using this as a way to say, hey, guys, get out there and vote because he knows he needs every last one of them to do so. But, you know, it's dangerous when he very well knows that if he were to lose, it would be fair and square. Uh, One final funny thought about this, too, that I hadn't thought about. And there's a funny item or funny haha. I don't know if you want to say it's funny, but in the 
The Wall Street Journal today has a little item that says that political science research on the the topic of saying elections are rigged Mm -hmm. may actually have the unintended consequence of dampening turnout. That is the question of, does this message by Trump actually uh, not motivate his supporters to turn out if you're fundamentally telling them that the outcome is rigged? Your vote doesn't matter, but please show up and vote But please show up and vote. And is that like a message that is not actually helping his cause? So all of this rig talk really seems to be Trump's uh, main defense uh, about sexual assault allegations that women are coming forward with. He's talking about the election being rigged, but he also says the media is is rigging this and that they're the entire media from The New York Times to Saturday Night Live. Trump has said both are basically in cahoots with the Clinton campaign to push these storylines. That all stems from the Hot Mike Access Hollywood tape, which can you believe was only a week and a half ago? <laughs> We were so innocent then. <laughs> I seriously, in my head, thought it was like a month ago, but no, a week and a half ago. Anyway, this is something Melania Trump addressed last night in her first interview in months. She says she was surprised by Trump's language and that's not the man she knows. And I wonder um, if they even knew that the mic was on because they, they were kind of a, a boy talk and uh, he was lead on, like uh, egg on from uh, the host to say um, dirty and bad stuff. You you feel the host, Billy Bush, was sort of egging him on? Yes. That's uh, Anderson Cooper there of CNN talking to Melania Trump. Can we just add, like, the buried lead in the Melania interview is that she said she said as first lady she would make being nicer on the Internet sort of like her issue, like teaching children how to be good on social media and making social media platforms huh. more friendly. But the irony <laughs> of the fact that her husband is Donald Trump, who has used uniquely used Twitter as like a constant insult machine in his campaign. And she is saying as first lady, she wants to make people nicer on the Internet. I'm uh, I'm doing the Kermit tea sitting. <laughs> So we are going to talk about Hillary Clinton in a moment. But but guys, as we wrap this up with Donald Trump, I mean, does all of this come up in the debate? Does some of it come up? What do you think comes up the most of the several different high profile, complicated, confusing, unprecedented storylines that we just chatted about? I'm. Well, for the debate, I mean, it depends on where the moderator goes and if there's any kind of line of attack that Hillary Clinton uses. I think that Donald Trump has signaled that he wants to use the WikiLeaks emails and those revelations, uh, you know, against Hillary Clinton as he's started to tweet about some of those. I know we'll talk about that stuff. But, you know, it really doesn't help Donald Trump if he's going to stand up there on a debate stage. And again, double down, triple down about the allegations about these women who've come forward, which happened, by the way, after that second debate. So that's definitely going to become a topic. That's right. At the second debate, it was just the uh, the, the video mic. was out. Right. Yeah, not not any of these. Right. Then after he had denied it on stage that he had done any of these things, that's when you saw this cascade of women who came out and said, well, actually, it happened to me. Uh, and he has denied those allegations up and down. And if he gets himself into a rabbit hole of deny, 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 and try to you know discredit each and every one of the women. You know you're just going to wind up spending a lot of time during the debate talking about a subject that has only hurt him in the polls. Sue, uh, given the established facts we we went through, we didn't even go through all the established facts when it comes to the rigging issue. I mean that that can't play well to me as as a topic for Donald Trump to to come out well uh, spending a lot of time talking about. Yeah, and I, it seems like he's made a decision where you know. 
coming out of the second debate where I think he took the much more aggressive stance against Clinton and taking on lines of attack that uh, maybe other Republicans told him maybe was not the best way to go. And he seems to have continued down that path. So I think the setup for the third and final debate is similar to the second, that Trump is coming in antagonistic, aggressive and happy to be in that position and feels, in his words, unshackled. All right. Uh, we'll take a quick break with that. And when we come back, we will talk about even more complicated uh, storylines. Get excited. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wonder Capital, asking, what if you could help combat global climate change and make money at the same time? Introducing Wonder Capital the award-winning online investment platform that allows individuals to invest in solar energy projects. You can earn up to 8.5% annually while diversifying your portfolio. Best of all, Wonder Capital doesn't take any fees for investing your money. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com NPR. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. All right, we're back. Let's talk about Hillary Clinton and WikiLeaks and the FBI and classified emails and a whole lot else. A lot to talk about. So I'm going to walk through this and then we can all dig in. There's WikiLeaks and a separate newly released FBI document this week, which showed a State Department official and the FBI arguing last summer over the classification level of one of Clinton's emails. The official at the State Department warned it Mark unclassified. One of those parties may have put a bargaining chip on the table for the State Department to allow FBI agents into Iraq. Basically, you do this for us, we'll do this for you, though both agencies deny any quid pro quo came to pass. The campaign says this is no big deal, that the State Department and FBI spent a lot of time last summer arguing over the classification levels of these emails. But, and this is a big point, This is another story that plays into Clinton's political vulnerabilities, even though there's no evidence she knew about this or that any quid pro quo was ever followed through on, even if it was on the table. Domenico, how do you view all of these new details? I mean, what it mostly does is reaffirms narratives about her that sometimes are not at all uh, advantageous to her, but not things that we're all that surprised about. Like that there's deal making, that there's deal cutting, that there's kind of trade horse trading happening. Yeah, that they play politics, uh, that she is, you know, more open to wanting free trade than she talked about during the primary. That she changes uh, positions for political reasons. That you have to have a private and a public position that she wasn't as tough on the banks in private as her public policy positions might be. You know, all of those are things that we kind of suspected and knew about her before the primary began. And all I just kept thinking was, boy, this would have really made a big difference if it were released in the primary. But but Sue, do you think there's a valid uh, argument for voters who are kind of grossed out or turned off by Washington seeing some of these conversations that you assume are happening or maybe you don't assume are happening because you don't think about it that much. Seeing kind of the emailed back and forths of kind of politics playing out in real life could be off turning for people. Maybe. I don't know if I believe that voters are that naive to the fact that like politics are real and politicians operate this way. Mm-hmm. I think people get that. But I think when you see it in black and white and you can read it, it gives a different kind of ick factor to it, grossness factor to it. And that, you know, the old joke about the 
greatest sin in politics is telling the truth. And these emails have also shown this unvarnished view of Clinton, uh, Clinton's internal operations and the sort of backstabbing and smallness of it. And and the internal awareness of her weaknesses as a candidate is also really like they know it. And that is also exposed that where I think you see a lot of Republicans pointing to it and saying, see, you know, there's this there's this idea that the Clintons are political opportunists, Mm -hmm. that the staff wars always has an air of sort of vague corruption. It gives people that feeling, even though there's never anything quite specific you can point to. And, and we should say with that, there, there's several revelations, as would probably be the case with any workplace in America, of kind of staff yeah. backbiting and infighting and trash talking that, that's happening on different email chains. I think it tells you a lot about how she would govern if she were to become president. I yeah. mean, we've talked about how over the years she's wanted this zone of privacy. It's why she set up an email server. Her aides wanted her to do a more thorough apology, and she sort Resisted of declined that. doing that. Actually, so, we ran a long story about one email chain along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think that that is more what you're going to see if Hillary Clinton were to become president is this kind of operating. Now, I will just say, though, for all the people who don't like the operations of politics, you know, Barack Obama was seen as the outsider. He came in and a lot of Republican, a lot of Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill and Sue would know uh, didn't think he did a very good job wooing them or trying to go up to Capitol Hill and win them over for some of his policy positions that he would want. Hillary Clinton has no problem doing that. That's actually not a bad thing that they would want to talk to Republicans and Democrats on either side to figure out what they can get and give to be able to get legislation through. Although I I, I also think that this is where Donald Trump really does and always had in the in this race of 2016 an advantage is when he starts talking about government corruption and being an outsider. Yeah. And it's no coincidence this week that he's put out new proposals on ethics and lobbying reform. Which saying, Ben Sass, one of his biggest critics, actually a uh, Nebraska senator who's a never Trumper, said, yep. actually, this is a good proposal. And, and Donald Trump said he would put new restrictions on what they call the revolving door, which is the ability of administration officials and lawmakers to become lobbyists after they leave office. And that has a real appeal to voters. I mean, that is a real issue that I think when you talk about it, people just respond to cleaning up government. And it's a layup in a debate. I mean, you know, for Donald Trump to build these kinds of arguments, you know, in a debate to paint her as the status quo who can't make change, who you can't trust and who's telling you one thing in public, but do another thing in private. These are things that, you know, stick when it comes to a political opponent versus another. But all of this is also goes back to a broader point that You see where if Donald Trump could have run a more disciplined, message-oriented campaign, how vulnerable Hillary Clinton is in this race. And in some ways, Trump has always been his own worst enemy, that the candidate is the one that's always gone off script or said or done the thing that shifted the focus away from Hillary Clinton. And when you're talking about, quite frankly, when it comes to sexual assaults or sexual behaviors, that is always going to swamp out the conversation. That's just the way politics work. That is real, whether it's in the presidential race or in congressional races. When a sex scandal comes into a race, that consumes all of the oxygen. It's also just like more important. I mean, you know, if somebody if there are real allegations, that's that kind of misconduct. And last thing before we shift gears and talk about the debate itself, it is worth pointing out. uh, We were talking about two different things here. The email exchanges between the FBI and the State Department uh, come from notes taken during that FBI investigation. They were released because of a Freedom of Information request. The other emails uh, from WikiLeaks that will continue to make news as the drip, drip, drip continues. 
were stolen, were hacked from John Podesta's private email. The FBI is investigating that. And there are a lot of indications that that came from hackers with ties to Russia. Okay, and let's talk about the debate. 90 minutes, no commercials, uh, Hillary Clinton and no mercy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the last one, not hyperbole, I guess. No steel cage or or, or wrestling ring that we know of. Six 15 minute topic blocks. The moderator is Chris Wallace of Fox News. And here are the topics. Debt and entitlements, immigration, the economy, the Supreme Court, foreign hotspots, and fitness to be president. Oh, yeah, that one. (laughs) Domenico, I feel like that last one might suck up the most oxygen. You would think. uh, And I'm not totally certain that Chris Wallace's first question is going to be, what are you going to do about uh, Social Security and Medicare? (laughs) Uh Um, We know that the most people in these debates watch in that first half hour. Um, and you're more than likely to hear a lot about what we've been talking about over the past week be something that Chris Wallace probably brings up. Now, he's one of the toughest Sunday show questioners, and there's almost nothing that will escape you know, his uh, willingness to go there with either candidate. So I would expect very tough questions when it comes to the scandals Donald Trump is dealing with, as well as the emails on Hillary Clinton's side. I want to ask both of you, uh, we've had two of these debates already. There's there's less than three weeks to go. Hillary Clinton is leading in the polls by wide margins by all accounts. What do you think the main goal for each candidate should be going into this? What, what do you think Hillary Clinton needs to do or should do? And what do you think Donald Trump needs or should do? Uh, I don't know. I'll answer it this way. I think that when I think about the third debate, I think I hate talking about stakes because I hate that term, but I think that there is more of a focus this time on Hillary Clinton, where I think the first two debates were sort of like, what is Donald Trump going to be like? Because Mm -hmm. he was the wild card and he was the first time, his first time on the stage. You know, I think that she is in a position where she is right now winning this race. She may be close to putting this race away. And in some ways, the expectation on her is higher now because any screw up at this point would potentially diminish or hurt her lead. And I so I think that she has more to lose right now. Uh, if Donald Trump continues the same position that he did in the second debate and comes out and d- gives a similar performance, it is hard to see how that will fundamentally change the trajectory of this race. Mm-hmm. I think she has more to lose than he stands to gain. You know, I think it's it's difficult for her because she's constantly having to walk this line. You know, she doesn't want to get into the rabbit hole, but she also wants to be able to defend herself and be able to parry back at Donald Trump, whatever it is that he's going to say. But she needs to close the deal. She needs to look presidential. She needs to give people a reason to look at her and say, you know what, that's someone who looks like they could be the president of the United States. They sound like the president. They act like the president. They have the right temperament to be president. If they were on the fence at all, she needs to close the deal with those folks who have moved away from Donald Trump in the polls right now. She can't give them an excuse to go back. Uh, is that an argument for, for Hillary Clinton showing up and basically just talking past Donald Trump and, and, and ignoring the fact that he's even on the stage with her? I mean, it depends on the like the level of conspiracy that he decides to throw at her. You know, yeah. if he if he's leveling substantive charges that are based in policy and based in rational thought, then she needs to respond. You can't just blow past something that's a fair argument. But if it's something that's just really out there, whether it's affairs from her husband or global conspiracies, her health or whatever, you know, those are things that she can look past. But stuff that are legit fair arguments she needs to address. 
Are there any uh, topics or questions that you really want to hear that were missing in the first two debates? I, don't you feel these debates have been like so devoid of policy? Like it would be remarkable if we Ken didn't. Bone asked a very specific <laughs> policy question <laughs> about energy. That is true, but that's also part of what made it so memeable was that <laughs> that was what was weird about the debate was like, oh well, a question on energy policy. Like SNL was like, and a boring question now from this person. Because like, <laughs> you know, like, and that boring question, by the way, that SNL lampooned was about health care, which, by the way, is the one issue that these two candidates whoever becomes president is going to have to deal with. They're going to have to do something about it. I would say from a policy standpoint, I am amazed that we have not really nailed the candidates into getting engaging on health care yeah. <laughs> and on immigration. It's amazing. Immigration Both has those, not come up. Yeah. Like Building the wall. the wall has not come up in the presidential debates. I'll say thank goodness for the primary debates because honestly, a lot of this stuff was trotted over a lot more because there were so many primary debates yeah. when you've got like 20 or 30 primary debates and the moderators are like, oh, I got to ask about something else. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, let's talk about policy. <laughs> it is. I do. I would say the one thing I do hear consistently from voters that I do think there's been a lot of frustration is that there is a feeling that like there is a policy hunger, I mm-hmm. think, among some voters who still feel like they have no idea what these candidates stand for because so much of the f- closing arguments of, the, of this race have just been about like character and fitness for office and scandal. And that is what's driven the storylines of this year, which for obvious reasons. But it would be sort of fascinating to just have like a a traditional policy argument for 90 minutes. I always wonder about that, though. I feel like that's like a shameability quotient there that like a lot of people will say they want policy, but they don't really want. But they really want to talk about they really want to talk about the scandal. I would uh, I'll just uh, as a former energy reporter say I would love more of a conversation about climate change, because the thing is, I feel like uh, climate experts agree that even the aggressive things that Barack Obama tried to put in place over the last eight years still is nowhere near enough what needs to be done to actually keep the global temperature in check. So that's a conversation that yeah, I think is worth having. The problem with a climate change conversation between these two, these two candidates is like a candidate who's deep in the weeds on policy briefing books about what to do about climate change and Donald Trump who doesn't want to do anything about climate change and has but said- But that's a conversation. Well, I, I guess. I've uh, always wanted moderators, and I don't know how you do this because I know candidates can like duck and weave in all kinds of ways, but I feel like both of them- need to be like had their feet held to the fire more about just how they want to pay for all these things right. they want to do yeah. and I don't think that either one of them a lot of, of it's pie in the sky yeah. even ask I mean, the rich or find fraud and eliminate it and there's just there is they have never really been like fully audited on how they plan to pay for all these proposals and there's not a good answer for it but I will say we know that policy is important. I think that is obviously how people make decisions about presidents when it comes down to it. I mean, you you figure out where they stand. Do they agree with you? And if I can plug on our website, I was we have a great matrix uh, that Meg Anderson has put together, who works for us, on where the candidates, not just Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, but yes, Jill Stein and Gary Johnson, where they stand on a host of issues. We did it like- Did we include Evan McMullen? We didn't, but we did for candidates who are on almost all- all the ballots. So I think it's very useful. If you're still undecided or you don't know where these candidates stand, go check it out. All right. Well, if and when policy is discussed at the debate, we will be fact checking (laughs) everything they say at NPR.org. We've done this for the first three debates, including the vice presidential one. We basically have a real time transcript with annotations and fact checks and context. NPR.org. Check it out. That's it for this episode. Of course, we will be in your feed with an episode all about what happens. You can check for that first thing Thursday morning. 
And this is exciting. We are gearing up for daily episodes. That's coming next week. Over the final two weeks of the presidential campaign, we will have a new podcast every single day. Until then, make sure you're keeping up with our coverage on your local public radio station and on the NPR One app. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.